All right. Hey, good morning. Happy Memorial Day. It's the least attended day in the, <laughs> the calendar for churches. So if you're here, that means that you couldn't afford a vacation. It means all your relatives are here in town. <laughs> I'm just playing with you. Um, my name is Luke. It's good to have you here. If you have a Bible, we're going to do something a little different today because I knew it would be a little bit of a lower attended Sunday, so I saved my best sermon for today. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter. It's a cool book. <clears throat> and I'm just going to read. We're going to let this lead us today. This is the text that's going to lift the weight and show us God, Christ, the gospel, and ourselves much more clearly today. It starts out this way in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now I want you to skip down to verse 9. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. To me, this is a fascinating passage. It actually deserves its own series. And it's been very helpful for me in the past. What it shows me right here, just with what we've read, is that Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus, changes our reality. Changes our reality in such a way that we belong to him and we belong to each other. And we see it painted for us in this picture right here. He says that we belong to him. We are a people for his own possession. We don't just possess ourselves. We don't just exist for ourselves, but we exist for him. We belong to him. And not only that, but we belong to each other. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We went from a disconnected, dismembered mob to a people that are corralled together by the power of God's gospel. And this is good news, right? This is what the church is. The church is the collected and the corralled saints of God, both before us, current, and those to come. But here's the problem. We don't like to be corralled. We don't like to be collected at all, to be honest with you. There is a, a song. It's hundreds of years old. Robert Robinson wrote it, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing. Some of you know this. It's an old hymn. I was, by the way, side note, he wrote that when he was 22 years old. Isn't that amazing? What were you doing when you were 22 years old, right? I was hawking stuff at the pawn shop and trying to figure out how to use deodorant and skipping classes. This guy's writing hymns that last hundreds of years. It's amazing. This is one of the, the verses in this hymn. He says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Whenever someone tries to corral us, we are tempted to wander. We are tempted to leave, tempted to depart. And as much as our hearts want to connect with each other, we don't want to belong. We want to connect because that's easiest. But if it starts to cost us when it comes to our own individuality, we want to wander. We want to leave. I think of the person that gets the tattoo on their arm of the heart because they're dedicated to 
to the idea of having that tattoo, but they won't put a name inside it because they don't want to belong. They just want to connect. It's something our culture understands very well today. We actually see it all the time with clubs. Think about the clubs you're involved in, all the different clubs. Think about them just for a minute. Sam's Club, the Athletic Club, the Golf Club, the Running Club, the Beer of the Month Club, the Dollar Shave Club, right? Fight Club, all the clubs that you guys are in. Think about it. The concept of being a member in a club or joining a club says that I could leave anytime I want. I can come and go whenever I feel like I want to come and go. There might be some obligations on me, but they, but they can't get too much because if they can, I can extricate myself from the process anytime I want to do that, right? And there might be some demands made on you in a club membership, but they're not going to be too heavy. They're definitely not going to change your identity and who you are. This is what we understand when we think about clubs and joining a membership, but this is the thing. We take that same understanding and we ship it over to how we handle the church. And what we end up with is something very, very deformed, something very unhealthy. So at this point in the series that we're doing on the book of Acts, we felt like this would be a good place to just pause for a minute. Because something beautiful is happening in the church and the fact that they're exploding by the thousands. It's an interesting problem to have. I mean, a low day would have been hundreds of people becoming Christians. They are blowing up to where increasing chunks and percentages of the whole metro area now associate themselves with Christ. Here is the thing, though, which is interesting. How did the church knew, how did it, well, let's say it differently. How did the people in the church know who belonged and who didn't? It's not like they wore jerseys. How did they know? How did they know who was a part? Who was part of the we in the church, the us? I mean, it's a problem. It must have been hard back then because it's very hard today. But it must have been very difficult for them. Because what about those people who are just hanging around? Maybe they don't know Jesus. Maybe they're skeptical. Maybe they're searching. What about those who are just there to get something? What about their, the, the, the folks that are there not to belong, but just to kind of connect? What about those who are just there because they're, maybe they're mad at God? Maybe, maybe they're not committed at all. Maybe you have some that are committed sitting right next to people that are uncommitted and you can't tell the difference one from the other. It's an interesting problem that they had back then. It's an interesting problem that we have today. So today what I want to do is talk about something rarely discussed, especially in sermon format. Okay? It's, a, it's a provocative topic for me. I actually love researching it and love learning more about it. I want to talk about church membership. Church, what we call church partnership. We don't really call it membership. There's a couple reasons. We're not trying to be hip. We just want to be clear. Uh, membership, as we just looked at, has, it's kind of empty freight as a word. It's lost some of its meaning because of how we treat memberships and clubs and joining things today. But also, we believe as a church that whenever you become a Christian, you are already a member of the larger body of God. You are a member that fits with other members with Jesus as our head. And, and we believe that words mean something. So we're going to refer to it. You might hear me use it interchangeably, but, but partnership is really the thing I wanted to talk about today. Now listen, some of you are starting to glaze over already because I said we are going to talk about church membership today. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, is that, there cannot be anything more irrelevant to my life today than church partnership. But let me caution you, all right? This might be, church partnership might be one of the most important things in your life right now. For those of you who are stuck, for those of you who are not growing, 
For those of you who are struggling with your walk, with pervasive issues that you just can't get behind, I, I will tell you, it might be, it might be the fact that you are mishandling, misappropriating, misunderstanding, and dropping how you engage the local church. You might not be partnered very well. And I really believe this. You cannot, you cannot grow well disconnected from the local church. You can't. If you're stuck and if you're not growing, take a deep, deep, hard look at where you belong. Do you belong? It's super important, you know? Show me a person. Show me a person who's growing like a weed, unbound, just growing like a weed who is dismembered and not attached to a local part, a local part of the body. Show me that person, I'll show you a unicorn. It'll be, because it'll be easier for me to find a unicorn than for you to find a Christian that is growing like a weed that is unattached from any other believer. It's just not possible. In fact, whenever I bump into people in the city, maybe they're outside of legacy, maybe they're even inside legacy, maybe they attend legacy, and they come to me and they're struggling with something. They're really, really fighting with a problem. Maybe it's a pervasive sin. Maybe they're stuck. Maybe they're not growing. One of the very first things I ask, if not the first thing I lead with, is I look and inquire about who they are partnered with membered with in the local church. Why? Am I recruiting? No, I'm not. It's just that there's always a correlation. There seems to always be a correlation there. Some of you, you know this. And it's an easy sell for you because you've moved from city to city. Some of you have left the church that you really loved, moved to a new city because of work or whatever. What did you feel like in that time in between the church that you loved and left and then the, the time that you finally found a church that you enjoy? I've talked to some families, it's like six months sometimes. And they always say, we've been in a dry season. It's been difficult. We feel like we're struggling. Things are flatlining. It's real, isn't it? That's just a rare occasion, though. Most of the people that are not partnered, they're not partnered because they don't want to partner. They just don't want to do it. They don't want to belong. They attend many churches, 68 churches in a year, and they think that's actually kind of cool. Everybody is their family, yet no one even knows them. They have 68 pastors that they call pastor. None of those pastors even know their last name because they're not really belonging. They're just attending. Listen, I recently read an article, and I will not tell you who wrote it. Everyone in here would know who it is. It was really a blog post, not so much an article. But it was on how he refuses to belong or now even attend a church. And I gripped my teeth reading through this article. I think I pulled a muscle at some point. I was so upset reading this article. But I was scared to death to get down to the little forum section where everyone drops their two cents in because I knew what I would hear. I just knew what I would hear, and I heard it. I couldn't resist. I went down and started reading through them all, like all 68 billion of them, and all it was were a bunch of people that were lined up to amen him. Amen. You read my mind. I'm so glad I'm hearing somebody with some credibility. I mean, after all, you own a blog, so someone with some credibility to say what I've always thought. I haven't been to a church in 10 years because it's corrupt or because of this or that or that. whole army of people that have just bit the bait of what the culture sells, saying you can be your own Marlboro man, roaming the range, eating out of whatever trough you feel like eating out of. You never have to belong anywhere. You can just kind of attend and kind of dip your toe in from time to time. Man, that article really upset me. <laughs> you know, there, there is this old song. 1973, the Eagles came out with it. It's called Desperado, right? 
Desperado is known as one of the top 100 country songs of all time, which is interesting because the Ingles aren't really a country band, right? But I cherry-picked some of the main lyrics out of there for you to read today because I think Don Henley gets it. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one, but I know that you've got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. It's not the same unless you're singing it, right? <laughs> Y'all want me to sing this? I'm not singing this. Second verse, Desperado. Oh, you ain't getting no younger. Your pain and your hunger, they're driving you home. And freedom, oh, freedom. Well, that's just some people talking. Your prison is walking through this world all alone. Preach it. That's what it is. That's what it is. We are entrenched in this individualistic society where we all want to be desperados. We all want to, there is nothing cooler in our culture than being the lone wolf. Belonging to nobody, accountable to no one, known by nobody, knowing nobody, serving nobody, attached to nobody, because nobody gets me, no one understands me. I'm an island that will never attach to another island. I am a person that will never belong to a people. I'm never filling in that tattoo in my arm with a heart on it. I'm not going to do it. It's cool today. But can I just say something? Now, I am a desperado, right? So I'm speaking as one to many in here who might be a desperado as well. Belonging, partnering, membering to a local church is a very, very biblical thing. It's incredibly biblical. And without it, chunks, chapters of the Bible stop making sense. Right? The, the body of Christ in and of itself stops making so much sense. You see, Jesus, and from the grace that comes in God's gospel, it outflows and has many effects. One of those effects is that it collects us together, as we've already said, where we enjoy him every day and we glorify him with our lives and we make disciples and we spread his fame and the thing is it's just none of this start none of this is even possible without partnering and belonging a little bit more than just connecting and attending but partnering and membering with each other because Jesus just simply is not impressed with us riding fences it just doesn't impress him very much we are called to wear a jersey that matches the jersey of those that we're partnered with to belong together, to serve each other, to lead each other, to rebuke each other, to encourage each other, to exhort each other, to love each other, to live life with each other, to belong to each other. There's simply no room for internet guy who haunts the forums, logs off, and says that's community for him. Gag. So what I wanted to do with the small amount of time I have left is talk about what church partnership means to us as we see it in the Bible. And listen, I cannot hit it on all four cylinders today. It's too big. I did, if you look on the weekly under resources on our website, I have an explanation of what covenant partnership is. It's all cited. It's our position paper on it. With all of the passages that you would ever want to look at in the Bible to do the research, if you wanted to do it, that's on there. It's actually on the blog as well. Posted a blog this morning that talks about this at a little bit more of a depth for those of you that struggle signing your, your, your name to anything, which that's me as well, there's a blog on that and there's more material on that. But I'm going to do the best I can to hit the main points that preach to the heart. Okay? So listen, if you're a guest here and you're not a part of Legacy, this is not me trying to cinch the deal and recruit you. Because wherever you end up doing life, 
You need to find a church that understands what it means to belong, where we're responsible to each other, and the leaders are responsible for you for crying out loud. It's a vital part of finding what a church is to be healthy, right? So you can carry this with you if you want. This is not me trying to get anyone. But partnership is ultimately where we are responsible for each other. You, responsible for the person next to you that is partnered with you, right? And this is gospel-driven. We don't do this because it's the cool thing to do or because Matt Chandler does it. We do this because the gospel drives it, right? Jesus, by the power of his gospel, collected us and took responsibility of us. It is a gospel-driven thing because of Jesus who connected us to him and he took responsibility for us. We see this in Ephesians 5, 529. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And I love this. This is the gospel. Jesus took responsibility for us. And we get the benefits of a membership that we couldn't pay the dues for. He won us. He collected us. We are parts, members of his body as he is the head. Now we hear that terminology used a lot, right? On your own time, look at 1 Corinthians 12, look at Romans 12, and those things will talk extensively on how we are connected together as pieces and as parts, especially with our giftings, and Jesus is our head. We see it all the time. Listen, if if you are just idling and attending and checking out churches, and we are church number 73 on your list because that's the cool thing for you to do, and you're just... You're just that person that likes to go from church to church. Hey, you're sitting in idle. You can't even employ your gifts. Not really well. You're not able to equip the saints for works of service. I mean, these passages, these whole chapters of books don't even make any sense anymore. You can't even use them. They're empty of all value. Not just gifts, because I think that's a minor way in how we build each other. I think just being eyes and voices helps even more. Just love and honesty with each other as we live together. I think that is where the overwhelming amount of growth is. It is for me. Just being around people that will be honest with you and loving with how they bring it. I've grown more than that from the gift of prophecy. I've grown more from that than the gift of healing or the gift of discernment, which are very valid gifts, but I've grown more from just doing life with people that I belong to, have taken responsibility for me, right? Mark Dever, he comments on this, and he, I love how he says it. He says, living in the midst of a life-centered, accountability-leveraging community, he says, it's just like taking a can of paint and throwing it on the invisible man where they can stand and look at themselves and say, oh, well, that's what I look like. I love it. It's very helpful. Some of you might have read the book, right? H.G. Wells wrote a book um, called The Invisible Man. And it's an interesting book. I actually finished it last year of all times. And it's interesting because at the very end of the book, the invisible man is not so invisible anymore. He dies. Right? He's dead. And as he dies, the invisibility, it wears off. And people can see him for the first time in the book. You know how it refers to him? Pitiful, broken, and naked. The thing is, is when the book started, the invisible man, the protagonist of the story, when the book started, he was a high intellectual, socially advanced could handle himself, but the whole book shows nothing but him degenerating into nothingness because he is unmembered, detached, doesn't belong, no one's responsible for him, he is alone. We have a lot of people like that in our culture, invisible men running around. If you live as that person, 
you won't mature as a Christian, you will degenerate. You'll degenerate. Growing in godliness, growing in holiness, that occurs most when we are exposed and accountable to those who are doing life with us. Why? Because they're throwing pain on us. I mean, you've had this happen to you, haven't you? Someone come up and be honest and tell you something that you didn't know about yourself? Isn't there a little bit of a, a, moment, a moment where you're like, wait, 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 wait. You just threw pain on me. What are you doing? And then you think, well, this is what I look like. This is what I look like. I have that. I have that in my life. And my heart wants to resist it anytime somebody wants to take responsibility for me. I want to push away and say, you can't throw pain on me. But it's our job as we take responsibility for each other, right? Not only that, but living in the trenches with brothers and sisters that we are partnered with, it gives us this environment, this arena, where we can be totally honest and confess our issues. That is us taking the can of paint and dumping it on ourselves. This is what I look like. And it's a safe place to do that. There's not many safe places in culture to do that, is there? And when I say there's not many, I mean there's none. But it's safe here. It's safe. If you're a partner with a local church wherever USA, that is supposed to be a safe place for you to dump pain on yourself and say, this is what I look like. I'm not invisible. This is who I am. Listen, this is why people are tempted, me being one of them, tempted to pull up stakes whenever we feel like we have too much paint on and people know us too deeply and move on. Go to a place where I can be desperado again. Go to a place where people don't know me and don't know my story, and I'm the throttle on how much they know. This is why we're tempted to do this. That's what Matt Chandler says on this. He says, when church is just a place where you attend without ever joining or belonging like a buffet, you just might consider whether you're always leaving whenever your hard heart begins to be exposed by the Spirit and the real work is beginning to happen. But here's the big question for us, really, when we talk about this. When we gather, times like this, and when we scatter into the city, into our mission field, who is the we of the body of Christ that we are responsible for? Who is it? How do you know? You know, I drive up and down my street. There happens to be a ton of little kids out where we live in our neighborhood. And I see them riding the bikes, throwing stuff, breaking stuff, most likely, just being kids. Now, am I responsible for them? Eh, I mean, if I, if I see something radical, I might step in. I mean, I am an adult, right? This is my neighborhood. I mean, I'm that much responsible. But what about my kids? Well, yes, I'm very responsible. Why? Because they're family. You're responsible for family. If you're a member or a partner of your local church, you are responsible, friends. You are responsible for the person you are partnered with. You're not responsible for everybody in the world. You're responsible for the person next to you, though. You're not responsible for the loons at Westboro Baptist holding up signs at soldiers' funerals that are offending the whole world. You're not responsible for those people, are you? Or for the KKK who swear that they're Christians and swear that the gospel is true for them? Are you responsible for those Christians? No. No, you're not. But you're responsible for the person you're partnered with. It makes sense. And not only are you guys responsible for each other, we as leaders are responsible for you. As a church leadership, we are responsible for those partnered to the church. You know, I'm just an under-shepherd. There is a better shepherd who has taken responsibility for me, even though I'm a rebellious mess. 
And because of that, I'm being called to be an under-shepherd to what? Take responsibility for those of you who, even though you may be, most of you aren't because you're really great people, but you may be a rebellious mess. It's something beautiful that God has done. Hebrews 13 says this much better than I do. This is the author of Hebrews. He says this super popular verse in the Bible. That's why you hear it all the time. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Right? So what we read here and what we understand is just attending a local church is not a biblical idea. I'll say, I'll ramp it up. Joining a local church is not a biblical idea. Submitting to a local church is. That's hard. That's hard because we're super individualistic. Again, to lay down that freedom is very difficult for us, right? Submitting to a church. Luke, I'll join. I'll be a member of a club, but submit? Meh, I don't know. The author is telling them not to join, but to submit to those who are responsible and who will be accountable for you. What the author is saying is don't be a donkey about it. If you make it hard on them, it's just going to be hard on you. If you make the process easy, it's just going to be easy for them to take care of you. Now, this is the thing. None of this passage can happen unless there's church partnership or church membership, depending on where you go and who you worship with. None of this is even possible because what this assumes is that, A, the leaders know who they're accountable for, and B, the people know who a leader is in their life because not everybody is your leader, right? Not everyone that has pastor on their business card is your leader. It would be weird if we did that. Now, I understand this as much as you do. I hate, I hate people taking responsibility for me. Let me tell you what I hate even more, people being an authority over me. I hate submitting to authority. I hate it. I'm just like you. I mean, if there's a little league referee, it's, I will buck against that. There's a hall monitor. I will buck against that. Any little thing that feigns authority over me. I'll tell you what, I was talking to someone about this the other day in my truck, my pickup, it's got this annoying feature where it starts to ding if I don't put my seatbelt on. And then if I don't do it, when it tells me is an appropriate amount of time to put my seatbelt on, it doubles how much it starts dinging. It goes from ding, ding, ding to ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I have looked at manuals. I've been at online forums. I've done anything to try to hack that bell off, right? Why? Because I want to go through the windshield? No. I believe in safety. I believe in seatbelts. I don't like a bell telling me what to do. I don't like a little bell telling me when to do it. Why? Because I'm the authority. I don't want you to be responsible for me. I hate authority. A crossing guard, anyone. Anytime someone asks me to change or tells me I'm wrong, I will buck. And you know this very well, don't you? All of you do. You're just like it. As leaders of Legacy Church, we are not responsible for those who are not partnered with Legacy Church. This sounds exclusive. Hear me out. We're not responsible for every Christian in the world. We are responsible for those who are partnered with us, just as it says in Hebrews 13, right here. Now, I love all Christians. And I'll be friends with many who have nothing to do with this church. But I'm not responsible before the Lord about how they're growing. I'm responsible for some of you, though, who are partnered with us. 
Conversely, you are not responsible for every leader in your life that says, I am a leader, you need to do what I say. Be very careful. Listen, this is why finding a healthy church is vitally important. Do you start to see this now? It's incredibly valuable for us. Not only are you responsible for each other, not only am I responsible for you, we have this thing that church partnership allows us to do, which is discipline each other. Here's another thing we love to talk about. Discipline each other. This is not possible. It's impossible unless you have a church where there is membership and people are partnered together and belong. It's impossible to do. Let's look at this in 1 Corinthians 5. Crazy church, crazy situation. It goes like this. Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. And that's not just then. It's not tolerated today either, by the way. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Later on, he says, you guys are bragging about this. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you were assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. Here it is, verse 5. It's about to drop the boom. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He says later on in verse 13, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Here's the thing. Very simple logic. You can't put someone out unless they are in. You can't put them out unless they are in. Without church partnership, this entire chapter makes no sense, along with the others that we've already hit. You could just discard them. Without church partnership, you could just tear them out of your Bible. They have no, they have no claim. They've, they're nonsensical. Jesus authorizes the local church not only to proclaim the gospel, but to protect the gospel, to help the city and to help the people know who belongs and then who does not, who is an imposter, who is, a, who is someone that is sinning? Who is someone that's not touched by the gospel? Who is someone that's not changing? Who is someone that's not saved? It's the only way to do it. Church discipline. Now listen, I'm going to finish with this because this, again, is its own topic. This, is, this deserves its own sermon to do a good job of teaching it. It's loving. Church discipline is loving to the person being disciplined, to the people of God, and to the city. It's loving to the person because as Paul says in this giant passage, you're delivering this person over to who? The devil. Well, that doesn't sound like it's very loving at all. Man, goodness gracious. But what it's doing is it's placing this person in the bottom of the barrel. They're going to hit the skids that much faster. They have no way to contact. They have no way to touch the people of God. They have no one covering them. They are put out. Why is that so important? That they come to realize the truth and the veracity of grace of the gospel and that they become Christians. Most scholars believe that this actually happened. You can tell by some of the writings in the second Corinthians, which is actually his third letter, but the second book of Corinthians, right? You can see this. It's beautiful. It's loving to the person. It's loving to you. Because if we have rampant sin running like a cancer, running like a fungus among the whole people, and we just sit up here as leaders and we won't do anything about it, that's not love to anybody. And how is that loving to the city if we let that happen? Because then what we're saying to the city is, oh yeah, this is what we say the gospel is, but we're going to confuse you by doing something totally different. There's no distinctiveness. 
between those who claim the gospel as the banner over their lives and those who don't. There's no distinctiveness. So it's not very evangelical. It's not very loving. It's not very missional. It's important. When a church is not prepared to execute church discipline, that's a church that's not loving. It's just not. If you go find a church that's not legacy, look for a church that has membership. Look for a church that is serious about it, has a process for it. Look for a church that will, that will execute discipline because it's going to be a loving church. It'll be a loving church. Now, why don't we like this? I mean, I've just made a pretty good case. I just tried to sell it pretty good on what the Bible says about church partnership and why it's important. Why do we not like it? Why are we squirming? Because we don't want to be responsible for each other and we don't want authority in our life. That's you, that's me, that's every person since Adam. This teaching requires that me, that I repent from my individualistic attitude and submit to a structure and a people, belong where I could be told that I'm wrong and I could be told I need to change. And I could be helped in the process. I could be deeply known. I don't want to do that. I want to keep my options open. If I could be honest. I want to keep my options open. If I don't like Sam's Club, I'll go to Costco. I'll just change my membership. I joined here. I can quit here. I want to be free of authority. And where did I get this? Where did I get this? The same place you did. We picked it up from our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam. Because what did he not like? He didn't want authority over him. He didn't want anyone telling him the difference between what? Right and wrong. The knowledge of good and evil. He wanted to reserve that for himself. It's genetically in all of us. This is where we get it. We get the same thing. We don't trust authority. And because of that, we will refuse to partner with anything that tells us what to do. And listen, we rightly should mistrust some authority because lots of people abuse authority, right? We should be a little hesitant. But, hear me, but but the gospel, but Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, it shows us a different authority. We have a king who gave his life for his people. It sounds overly simplistic. We have the height of authority giving up his life and his authority for his people. It's a new, we've never seen anything like this. He gives us what we can really hunger after. The culture says to you, you need to be free from belonging and free from being responsible and free from authority. Jesus says, I am your freedom and you can connect to others and we can trust his authority. We can trust his authority. Why? Because he is loving. Again, another overly simplistic term, but think about it. Try to conceive in your mind, because some of you have noted it as you've lived this long. Conceive of your mind the, the deepest form of love you've ever seen, like a mom for her kid or a 60-year-old couple, or a soldier who sacrificed his life for his country. Conceive in your mind the deepest expression of love you've ever seen. And what you will come up with is a shallow, weak mimic of what God has done for us. It won't even be 1% of what God has done for us. He's loving. He is all love with no sin mixed in. With this love, he is an authority in our life. Therefore, we can trust it. We can trust it. I don't have to be a desperado anymore. I don't have to ride solo. I don't have to keep my options open. 
I don't need to protect my interests. I don't need to do this because the gospel frees me and gives me something better. I have a king. I get a king. I get a people. I get grace. I get life. I don't need to protect myself. So listen, I'm, I'm going to land this. But I want to talk to those of you who are partnered with a local church. And I want to talk to those of you who are not right now. I want to talk to those of you who are partnered with a local church. First, I just want to say thank you, regardless of where you're partnered. Thank you for that. It's hard. It's a little bit more than just signing your name on a piece of paper. Some of you, if you are coming from other churches, from other towns, there was a process involved. Here, there's a process involved, right? It's not the most difficult thing in the world to do, but it's definitely not the easiest thing in the world to do, right? And I understand that when some people covenant with a local body, they're doing that, they're taking a little bit of a risk in their heart. They're trusting more than they've trusted in the past. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate what you've had to overcome to do something like member and partner. So thank you. Then I'm going to ask you also, how are you doing? Are you actively loving each other? Are you dumping pain on the person next to you? Are you dumping it on yourself? What does it look like? Are you membered on paper? Partnered on a piece of paper somewhere? Or is it really living out? Look at the Baptist roles. You'll find Britney Spears. You'll find Brad Pitt still. He's still on there. It's possible to be partnered on paper. And very possible to not be walking it out, living it out. See, the beautiful thing is, is when we're partnered, it gives us this fish and cut bait moment where we can't be ambivalent. It removes all ambiguity about our relationship to the local congregation. It inserts us at some place where we can exert our skills, our treasures, our talents, exert our personality, fit into the local body where we are responsible for some and some are responsible for us. Not only how are you doing, if you are a partner with a local church, I'm going to ask you, how are we doing as leaders? Are we succeeding? Are we helping you as a church? Are we serving you? Listen, you need to know that you should be vocal about this. You should be vocal about this. If you're partnered, help us. Make it a dialogue. You know, 90% of the people, I just made that statistic up, by the way, but I'm sure it's 100% right. I know it is. But I'd say 90% of the people who get jaded with the church, get bitter with the church, and they end up leaving, it's usually for reasons that the leadership didn't even know existed. I have lost count well over 30 or 40 times. Lost count over hearing about a family leaving this church or another church or whatever church we've planted in the past. I mean, over 20 years, I've seen people come and go and come and go. And whenever you hear through the grapevine why they left, all you can do is just say, I didn't even know that was an issue. I didn't even know that was going on. Why? Because they didn't tell anybody. They weren't vocal. The leaders failed them in their eyes, and the leaders had no clue that there was any failure. Some of you have done this. Thank you for that. Some of you, that takes some courage, straight up, even just to send an email to say, hey, I signed a covenant form with you guys, and I went through the class, and it seems like you're dropping a little bit number seven. Or I feel like I, I'm not being heard in this. I feel like I need help in this. And I feel like I'm being passed over. And it allows us the opportunity to go, oh, wow, you know what? We have. We have messed up. We have messed up. Our goal is to serve you, but we will overlook things. We will misspeak. We will misunderstand you. We will drop the ball. It's good for this to be um, more of a dialogue. 
You see, the difference between a church that has a partnership or membership and a church that doesn't, a church that has a partnership or membership that's good and healthy, it's really an exercise in giving the church away. It's like, it's like a stockholder giving away all the stock. Because if we don't have that, and then me and the other pastors are just the big heads, and we're just the bosses, then we maintain all the control. And you can take your complaints right out the door. You can go to, you know, idontcare.com and submit your question. But friends, you're, you're partners. That means this church belongs to you if you're partnered with Legacy. Wherever you're partnered at your church, that church belongs to you. You're responsible for making sure that the person around you is healthy. You're responsible for making sure that we are doing a good job. You are responsible for the fact that discipline is or is not going on. That is your responsibility. You own the church. It's your church. It's not mine. I'm just a lead teaching pastor. Jesus is the senior leader of this church. And it belongs to you. It's important for you to know that. Real quickly, those of you who are not partnered with a local church, some of you are not because this is very new to you. This teaching is very new to you. And I would suggest you go online. Look at the blog on our website or go to the weekly on our website. There is a ton of material. I have several resources that will go in different directions around this topic and help you if you want to learn more about it. But consider it. Consider it. For those of you who are aware of it, I'd say, are you in the right place? I'm just going to ask. I'm talking physically and spiritually. Physically. Are, are you in the right place? You might not. This might not be your church. Right? Because the goal is not attending. The goal is belonging. It's fitting. It's being covered. It's having responsibility. It's about growing with authority in your life. That's the win. Not just attending. Not just attending. Some of you, I'll say, are you in the right place spiritually? Because I've heard it. The desperados. Psst, not partnering. I'm already showing up. I'm already volunteering. I'm not signing anything. I don't sign stuff, says the person with the cell phone and owns a home, which you had to sign countless forms that she didn't even read for crying out loud. I don't sign stuff like that. I've heard it. I've heard the cries. I will say this, and I mean every word of it. If hearing a sermon in a room with other people with a pulse is your goal, if that's your bar and your waterline, just go to Starbucks and listen to Matt Chandler online. There's people there drinking coffee, and he preaches a lot better than I do. I mean, if that's really your goal, you got to shift the bar. That's not the bar. That's not where the bar is at. The bar is not just connecting to people and knowing a first name and walking out the door. It's belonging. It's just belonging. Some of you who know this, and you know that you've been struggling to just be obedient here, how have you been feeling when topics like this come up? You know, Tim Chester, he says this. He says, individualism is the attempt to structure my life according to my word. Church membership, he says, begins with repentance, with turning. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. Repent. Turn from being a desperado, from riding fences, from being solo. Repent. Find a church, however long it takes you to find one. Find a church and dig in and belong, and partner. If it's here, fantastic. We'd love to serve you. If it's not here, let us help you find a church. We've done that for lots of families. Let us help you, right? Because we are committed to a process to do more than just a club membership. We're committed to this process of bringing people in and corralling them into partnership, membership. 
process for us, just very briefly, not that I'm shilling it right now, but the process for us is a class. It's a six-week class. And you only have to show up to like four weeks because our bar is super high. <laughs> so you can miss, you know, like two-thirds of it. Is that the math? Two-thirds. Yes, you can miss two-thirds of those classes. And then an elder sits down and talks to you and gets to know you, finds out your story. And then we give you a covenant. You read it over very carefully, and you pray over it very carefully. And then we decide what we do. We've had people go through that class and never partner. Most churches that have a partnership, that's exactly what happens. Probably only about 50 to 60, 70% of people that go through a class actually end up going any further. We have a process, and we're committed to it. And it's just going to get better and better as it keeps evolving, and we have time to keep putting more wheels to it and gears to it. We're committed to it. Now, well, Luke, what if I don't want to sign that? What does that mean? Does that mean I need to leave? No, you can come all day long. We'll call you a guest. Even if you've been here for years, you're just a long-standing guest. And we'll love you. And we'll serve you. And we'll cry with you. And we'll help you. And we'll come alongside you. But we're not responsible for you. Does that sound exclusive? It does just coming out of my mouth, but you have to understand, I am responsible. We are responsible for a people, and we take that very seriously, very seriously. I'll tell you what, go ahead and stand with me. It's beautiful that when Jesus came, when Jesus came to do his radical work on earth, he didn't come to create a service. He didn't come to create this. This isn't why Jesus died. He came to create a church. A church. And there's just so many things in a church that are totally impossible unless you have something like a membership or something like a partnership. It's just totally impossible. Some of the stuff we've went over. One of them that you're about to experience is communion. Another thing that doesn't make any sense. You know, baptism is this beautiful picture before all of us. It shows us what it means to enter into a covenant community. Uh, Communion shows us what it means to exist and maintain ourselves in a covenant community. So we're about to go into a time of worship where we sing and we give, we shout and we cry, we shake hands, we write checks, we take communion, where we worship, where our heart responds to what God is doing for us. I just want you to consider these things. How do you belong? How do you belong? Do you belong to a people? Do you even belong to a king? Something for you to consider. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Father, that I was a just a mess, a rebellious mess that did not have any authority in my life, nor did I want any. And you came and took responsibility for me. And I didn't ask you to, Lord. I didn't ask you to be responsible for me. You invaded me. You ambushed me. And you showed me grace. And when I saw how deep that grace plunged, Father, I could not say no. My only response was, you have me. You got me. I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm part of the people of your possession. And then you showed me what it meant to belong to other people. God, it is so hard to just let down. The desperado in me wants to run, wants to shield, wants to shortchange, wants to lie, wants to build a bubble, wants to never get burned, wants to never get known, wants to never be under authority. Still to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor, Lord, and I'm still struggling with it. Help us as people. If I'm struggling with it, I know they're struggling with it. Help us, Lord, as people. See the beauty of belonging, of belonging to you and belonging to each other. 
And Father, help our hearts if we are disconnected and dis, just detached and dismembered from you. I think for some people in this room, it's not a matter of us not belonging to each other. We don't even have a body that we're connected to where Jesus is even our head. Father, soften our hearts. Soften our hearts where we allow you to be the authority in our life, telling us what's right and wrong, telling us where we need to change, but loving us and giving us a new heart to where that change is actually attracted to us. Father, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.